All right, in this podcast, we're going to talk about complications from diabetes or glucose regulation. Uh, so first, I want to talk about several more like acute complications, and then we'll briefly discuss um, the more chronic complications that can result from uncontrolled blood glucose levels. So two conditions of fasting hyperglycemia that you should know and be aware of are the Dawn phenomenon and the Samoji phenomenon. So the Dawn phenomenon, what happens here is this patient isn't getting enough nighttime insulin. So when they check their blood glucose in the morning, they have elevated blood glucose levels. And the fix for this Dawn phenomenon is just to increase those nighttime insulin levels. So they might increase the number of units or kind of move some insulin around so that right before they go to bed, they have higher insulin administration, and then that fixes their high morning blood glucose levels. Um, the other thing that we can see is Samoji phenomenon. We also like to call this the rebound effect. So here what actually happens is the patient, their blood glucose will dip in the middle of the night and because that happens, counter-regulatory hormones are released in the body. And remember, those counter-regulatory hormones will start to break down glycogen so that glucose is available. And so that's going to make their morning blood glucose level high. So just like the Dawn phenomenon and the Samoji phenomenon, our blood glucose level is high in the morning. But with the Samoji, since it's the rebound effect, it's high in the morning because they actually dipped in the middle of the night and their body was trying to fix itself. So here, the actual fix would be, we need to make sure that patients are eating um, adequate dietary amounts when they take their insulin at night if they're suffering from the Samoji phenomenon. So sometimes <clears throat> when we first see the patient, we don't really know what's going on when they come in and they're complaining of high blood glucose levels in the morning. Um, so often to determine the fix, we have to um, have them check themselves in the middle of the night um, to see what's really going on. Are they dipping or are they just staying elevated? And then we know what to do. Okay. Um, so then some other kind of more severe acute conditions that can happen as a result of hyperglycemia are DKA and HHNS, which is hyperglycemic hyperosmolic non-ketotic syndrome or state. So with both of these, like I said, they're, the patient's hyperglycemic. Um, with both of these conditions, we can see electrolyte loss, and there's also severe dehydration going on. Oftentimes we see DKA and HHNS triggered by um, periods of stress. Um, so again, helping patients cope um, with stress positively can be effective in pre preventing complications. Um, also infection or illness could cause these to come about. So with DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, this is a form of metabolic acidosis. Um, we typically see this more in your type 1 diabetic patient because they don't produce any insulin at all. So they are more at risk for episodes where the body's going to be breaking down fats and proteins, and that's when they develop these ketones and could develop DKA, where we see ketones in the urine, their pH starts to lower because they're becoming more acidic, and this can happen pretty suddenly. Um, and sometimes what also can lead to this is they're just not getting enough insulin, you know, maybe because they are having a stressful event or, you know, if they have an infection or some type of illness. 
And when we look at the patient who has DKA, some of the typical um, signs and symptoms that we'll see are a fruity breath to their odor with that buildup of glucose, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain. Um, and they're also going to have the Kussmaul's respirations, which are those um, deep, rapid respirations that are a compensatory mechanism. The body's in a state of acidosis, and it is trying to correct that by breathing rapidly to breathe off carbon dioxide to help correct this imbalance. And, and the key here, of course, like I said, maybe they have inadequate insulin. They are going to need insulin, but because there's a severe dehydration that's happening, as your blood sugar level elevates, your body's going to react by trying to flush that out. So these patients are urinating a lot as well. So we see this dehydration occurring. And if your cells are dehydrated, they're not going to be able to function. So if I give the patient insulin, because they do need insulin, but if I give them insulin and I haven't given them any type of fluid, their body's not going to be able to utilize that insulin the way it could if it was hydrated. So our key with DKA, our priority... Um, is initially, of course, I want to assess this patient knowing that breathing could be affected by DKA with the Kussmaul's respirations. I want to see how their respiratory rate is and, and then their um, level of consciousness status. But then when it comes to treatment, my priority is to give them fluid. Get those cells hydrated. Once the cells have been hydrated, and then we back that up with giving them the insulin. And we'll, let's talk a little bit about HHNS, and then we'll go back to the treatment. And what you'll see is our treatment here is very similar. So with HHNS, hyperglycemic hyperosmolar state, you notice the word non-ketotic, that, that N that that stands for. So these patients don't have ketones. We typically see this in your type 2 diabetic patient, especially the elderly. And what happens here is they do have a high blood glucose. Often their blood glucose with HHNS is above 600. Because they have this elevated blood glucose level, um, again, their, their body's trying its hardest to flush things out, so they're losing fluid. And oftentimes what we see, especially with your older adult, is being dehydrated is what got them there in the first place. You know, if they're dehydrated, then that changes the osmolality of the blood, and now their blood glucose level is building up, and it's getting really concentrated. Um, so these patients also need fluids to help flush things out and get things balanced again. Um, and then also they could benefit from insulin if their sugar's still not going down. But with HHNS, because it can happen in the elderly, because those blood glucose levels can get so high, we really have to watch out for even more complications with them, like seizures, coma, confusion, paralysis. Um, so you have to keep a close eye on both patients, um, but especially with our older adult patient with HHNS, that can get pretty dangerous. Sometimes it can be difficult to detect hyperglycemia in the older adult patient as well. Their body doesn't tend to react with the same signs and symptoms. It can, it can be a little bit more subtle. Um, I don't know if that's just because their bodies have kind of gotten used to having kind of running on um, higher blood glucose levels just with normal bodily changes of aging um, or what, but sometimes we can miss that sort of thing. So what we've said so far here with DKA and HHNS is they have a lot of similarities. Major differences, type 
uh, DKA usually happens with type 1. We see the ketones. HHNS typically happens with type 2, especially older adult, higher risk um, if you're already dehydrated, and they don't have ketones. Treatment here is very much the same. We want to um, give these patients fluids. We have to rehydrate the cells because both are in a state of dehydration. If the cells aren't hydrated, the insulin's not going to do anything. And typically, as far as fluid replacement goes, they'll either start off with an isotonic fluid like normal saline, or they might do a hypotonic solution like half normal saline. And then once um, that's going in for a while, now we're worried about, you know, if I'm giving them fluids, I'm starting to give them insulin. I don't want to, um, I don't want to actually drop their blood sugar too much. So sometimes what you'll see them do um, is they'll change those fluids over to like half normal saline with dextrose uh, so that we don't dip down their blood sugars too low. The other thing that we have to keep in mind when we're giving the patient fluid, they're, you know, this is causing urination. We're also giving them insulin. Insulin pushes potassium into the cell. If I'm giving them all this fluid, they, we could also be flushing out potassium. So we have to monitor for hypokalemia in patients with DKA and HHNS. And once that treatment has started, they are at high risk for that potassium level to drop. Um, so watching for signs and symptoms of hypokalemia. And they usually will be pretty conservative, um, not really conservative, but a lot of times if that potassium level is just dropping a little bit, even if it's still in normal range, they'll go ahead and give them IV or PO potassium, depending on what state the patient is in, because they don't want to risk it dropping too low since we know they're at such high risk of hypokalemia. So that would be another intervention, potentially giving IV or PO potassium. And when you're, um, like I said before, when you're assessing the patient with DKA, we're really watching out for those breathing issues um, associated with the Kussmaul's respirations. And the patient with HHNS, we're really watching out for like cognitive changes um, because that blood sugar is so high. These patients are even more dehydrated than with DKA. Um, and then because patients, patients with HHNS often require more IV fluids, we want to make sure that they're not going into like a fluid overload um, and having like brain swelling and fluid going in places that we don't want it to go in. So watching that level of consciousness. Okay. Now let's talk about um, hypoglycemia. So with hypoglycemia, this is another acute complication that can happen with glucose regulation issues. Remember the saying, cold and clammy, get the candy. So these patients are often cold and clammy. They can be anxious, nervous, irritable. Um, they could have palpitations, um, tachycardia. They could get hungry, blurry vision, double vision, weakness. As things progress, we might see mental confusion, seizures, or coma. So we want to try to intervene as early as possible um, to help these patients so some things that we can do is if they have mild hypoglycemia, just some of those um, kind of autonomic changes like the irritability, shakiness, um, hunger, headache, but they're fully conscious, and this typically happens if their sugar is less than 60, we want to start off giving them 10 to 15 grams of carbs. So that might be a half a cup of orange juice 
or um, eight ounces of skim milk, six to 10 hard candies, four cubes of sugar, four teaspoons of sugar, six saltines. So just some options. And then once we give them that treatment, wait for 15 minutes, recheck their blood glucose. If it's still low, then we can repeat the treatment. The other thing to keep in mind is that if their meal is not going to be for another hour, then we probably want to add some type of carbohydrate or protein to that treatment to help it be more sustainable. Because what you're typically trying to do with a low blood sugar is you really want to give them a simple carb initially, which all those things I named off are simple carbs are going to be broken down really quickly. The body's going to be able to utilize it. After we've given them that first treatment, and then again, we're going to that second treatment if needed, if we know that they're not going to be able to eat a meal for a while, then let's add something a little bit more sustainable to that second treatment. Now, let's say their hypoglycemia is worse. It's dropping to below 40. So now we're seeing more symptoms. Um, their pulse is picking up. Their sh respirations might be shallow. Their mood or might be changing. They might become drowsy. Um, they're really getting cold and clammy. Now we want to up it to about 15 to 30 grams. Um, so maybe you're going to be giving them like a full cup of juice um, with their blood sugar being less than 40. Wait 15 minutes and then check them again. If they're still low, uh, then let's go ahead and give them another treatment. Now, if it's so severe that they are hypoglycemic um, to the point to where it's less than 20 and they're unconscious, then we are going to have to give them something either IV um, or IM because they can't take anything by mouth. So we're going to give them, um, there's two different medications that we could utilize. We could give them IM glucagon. Um, this also comes in a sub-Q route. So glucagon, remember, is a counter-regulatory hormone. So it's going to help suppress the action of insulin. And it's going to help break down glycogen into glucose um, and make that available for the body. Um, the other option, if the patient has an IV, then we could use IV dextrose. Dextrose is um, hard to push. It's very thick. It can be harsh on the veins. Um, but if, if we have an IV, that would be the better route because it, it's just a little bit less invasive. You don't have to uh, puncture the patient's skin since they already have the IV. So those would be our options. And, of course, following up with the doctor for any changes in, in condition. So that's how we want to treat hypoglycemia for, for whatever the cause and then the last few things I want to talk about are just some uh, chronic complications that can happen after, you know, having prolonged periods of hyperglycemia, just considering those macro and microvascular changes. Uh, so things like retinopathy, peripheral neuropathy, um, they can have, they're at higher risk for strokes or cardiovascular diseases, the um, nephropathy or the effects of the kidneys. Also possibly seeing cognitive dysfunction, um, you know, whether it be cognitive impairment or things like depression. So there's many long-term effects that can happen as a result of blood glucose levels staying high. So this is why it's really important to teach patients about managing blood glucose levels. We don't want to see these um, dips and elevations or constant elevation um, and sometimes it is hard when you're trying to, you know, initially get medications under control and figure out what's going to work best for the patient. They might have a little rough period of adjusting, 
but overall teaching them proper diet, exercise, and how to stay on top of their medications, managing and checking that blood glucose so that we can avoid as many complications as possible.